Amen. Thank you, ladies. Very nice. Nobody thrills my heart like Jesus. Isn't that good? Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and um, turn that on, fellas, when you get a chance. We'll get that thing going and we'll get things started here tonight. Well, we're glad you could be here. I'm glad to be here. We were gone for a while and uh, enjoyed some time away. And uh, I think it was in uh, Corona, Oregon, but, uh, or Washington, that's what it was, Corona, Washington. And uh, I, it's no big deal. I did a little ministering in the nursing homes up there, but other than that, we're doing well. But <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. But anyway, you become who you follow, all right? <laughs> all right. Oh, boy. This thing's getting crazy out there, boy. I tell you what, isn't it? All this stuff, folks talking about things, and I don't know what the total is around the country yet, but just never forget, there are 300 and what, 30-some million people in the United States. Be careful you don't get too caught up to where you get so scared, you're so worried that you're fretting over something that if God wants you to get it, you're going to get it. I'm telling you, don't let yourself get so caught up in, in the hype of it that you start getting paranoid. Do you know that on the shelves of major uh, you know, uh, grocery stores and stuff, they're, they're, things are flying off the shelves for people so afraid just be careful, okay? Don't, don't get caught up in the hype. Just let's just wait, be, care, be cautious, but be care, just be patient and let's let the Lord do some things. I, I think we're going to be all right. I, I just do. I'm confident one way or the other, it'll be okay. But uh, right now we just, uh, you know, like I say, we need to be praying for our older folks and things, especially because they're the ones being hit the most with this. The ones that are, are, if there is ever someone that they would come in contact with, they're more likely to to catch it, and they're more likely to have a problem with it. Uh, the young people, they're pretty good shape. They're, they're, they're fine. They're not dying from it at all. And uh, really, it's, it's people that have respiratory problems already and folks that are over the age of 70, basically. And again, we want to keep our older folks safe. And again, if you are, honestly, if you, you are around people that have traveled overseas in the last week or two and you don't know for sure, I mean, and they're over in those areas, then I would say you need to be careful. You shouldn't be here until you know you don't have it, you know? Why should I not come here? Because you traveled overseas there, you know? So don't go out of your house if you think you've come into contact with somebody with it, okay? Keep me safe. I don't want it, you know? Think about me first. It's always about me, okay? <laughs> But really, listen, just be careful. The Bible says be careful for nothing, and it says to fret not. And So try not to get too caught up in it. But like I say, use your head, be wise, uh, but by the same token, be careful that you don't get caught up too much. Well, anyway, enough said about that. Uh, I've thought about, some people have said, well, maybe we should stop shaking hands and stuff. I, I, I'll pray about it, you know, if the Lord tells us not to do that. But honestly, I think that, that the, right now for us in the Ohio area, and I know there's somebody in Ohio, I guess I heard just that recently they found had it, uh, but uh, I don't know where that's at. I think Cauga County or something like that is what I understood. But uh, we'll see how that begins to pan out. But, but, I mean, otherwise, I mean, we're a church family. I mean, we should be caring for one another and, be, and careful that, we're careful with one another. If you think you got something that's, you know, don't need to be exposing people to, then let's be very wise about that and not expose people to it. And, uh, but, but, you know, we're going to get sniffles and stuff like that. That's not corona, okay? We're okay. 
But uh, like I say, just keep praying for one another and we'll trust the Lord to help this to die down quick so we can get moving along and so that the NCAA championships can be attended. But anyway, (laughs) I I shouldn't have thrown that in either. Okay, so anyway, so you become who you follow, okay? Be careful who you follow, we said. All right, notice we said there's a difference there. There's a difference between Matthew 4.19, Luke 5.10, and Mark 1.17. We noted that it says ultimately, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Make you to become fishers of men. Now, the first two passages seem to emphasize the fact that they'll catch men, be fishers of men, no doubt. But the portion of Mark instead emphasizes not just a fact, but emphasizes a process. And so we've been addressing that process. We've been addressing. By the way, let me just tell you my credentials, okay? Somebody's going, you're not a doctor. You shouldn't be talking about this. Let me tell you, back in the year 2000, I did some things in 2000 and told people, don't you dare worry about what's going to happen in the year 2000. Y2K, there were people losing their minds in Y2K, losing their minds, buying generators, doing things, I mean, building bunkers and all kind of nutty stuff. And I said, listen, come January 1, we will all be perfectly fine. Listen, I'm not not a scientist, but I was right. And I'm telling you this, I, I think the Lord can help us to understand what's really a direct threat to us as a church. Right now, I think we're okay. If it becomes necessary, we'll do what we have to. But just because the the local public schools are concerned about things and just because the local colleges are, they have people from around the country coming to those colleges, around the world coming. They have exchange students whose parents and family members are probably right out of those areas. They're trying to be careful because of those things. We don't have that here. Okay, we're, We're pretty good, I think. So again, I'm not trying to say I'm an expert. Don't misunderstand me. But I do think the Lord's able to speak to us about these things. I really do, and I think he will. It's, it's common sense, yes, and it's also we need to be sensitive to the Spirit. I think we'll be okay, and you being here proves that you know that's the case. So just continue to pray for each other, and we'll get through this fine. I believe that. I really do. All right, so anyway, we become fishers of men. Now, we said the fact is that whatever you follow is what you will ultimately become. We talked about roles, what has shaped our lives and person up to this time, since we've gotten saved. We talked about the behavior tree, and we addressed that issue, and, and, and I don't want to take the time to go through all of that again. Then we uh, began to touch on some things here, and when all was said and done, we said, no one becomes all that God would have them to be the very moment they're saved. Becoming is a process that takes time, and so it takes time to become. So what have we learned up to this point? We've looked at a few other things along the way. We said, be careful who you allow to be your friends. You need to be careful who you allow to be your friends. Honestly, uh, we're, to, we're admonished to walk with wise men. Otherwise, it's going to cost us. In Proverbs 13, 20, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupts good manners. But we need to be careful who we associate with and who we allow to be our friends. And by the way, don't you ever question this. I promise you this. You choose who your friends are. Don't allow your friends to choose you. You, you, you make that choice. And, and I, mean, I should say it that way. Sometimes we, we act like we didn't have a choice. Well, you know what? I, they want me to be their friend. I don't care if they want you to be their friend. You choose who your friends are. Don't you let them choose you. You be careful with that one. Then we turned our attention to the master himself. 
We took the time to consider his steps. Jesus is someone who you can trust and follow. And in 1 Peter 2.21, we learned that for even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And, and so we noted that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, we noted some of those steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know what? I, you know how crazy this sounds? I know I can't get off of it now. Do you know we got a program coming up on, Jan, on, on April the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th? Do you know we've got a big production? Do you know there's already over 160 people that have confirmed through the internet and through Facebook and other sources that they're coming to this program on the, sec, on the third or fourth? 160. We're not talking about you. We're not talking about your family. We're not talking about anybody but folks that we have just reached out and as a result of some of that advertising we've been doing, they have, have contacted us with all their information to send them tickets to come to this production. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to tell you what. I smell a snake in the grass. Well, we can't do that, preacher. We'd bring all those people into this auditorium. We wouldn't be able, they'd all die from corona. I'm going to tell you something. More important than their physical health would be their spiritual health anyway. So let's be careful now. Let's not let the devil undermine what we've been working on to try to reach the world with the gospel. Be real careful with that one because I'm telling you, you, somebody in the church might show up on Facebook. I don't think the preacher's right about opening the doors of the church on the second, third, and fourth. And you're going to go, you know what, maybe they're right. If I feel, I'm telling you, if I really believe that the Lord wants the doors open, I don't care if there's 12,000 people dying in America, in the United, right in the, in the Summit County. If that's what we think needs to be done, if the Lord's leading us to do it, we need to be obedient to the Lord no matter what. Amen. We'll do what God tells us to do. It'll be okay, but that ain't going to happen, by the way. Don't worry about that. But anyway, okay, I just thought I'd throw that out there. But, but 160, can you believe that already? 160 people are planning on being there for that program. Do you know what they're going to hear? The gospel. They're going to get it. I don't know what they're expecting, but they're going to get it. They're going to get it. This is the example that Jesus has given us. These are the steps that he's taken and intends that we follow. Again, steps of submission, sacrifice, suffering, service, and surrender. We learned also that there's a direct correlation between how much we follow Jesus and how much we are like him. We learned also that God's goals for all of his children uh, uh, is the same. And, uh, and so we learned that we're to be um, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. You know what? I can't read that, but it was really good. What, what's that say up there? Can you read that on that screen? What have we learned? Okay, I knew that was really good. That's, that's Snoopy saying that, though. That makes it even better. If Snoopy says that, you know it's important. Okay, so we've learned to be conformed to the image of Christ. Then we ask the question, what does being conformed to the image of Christ look like in attitude? And we talked about that meek and lowly spirit, being humble and meek. We also learned about, we asked the question, what does being conformed to the image of Christ look like in action? And we went on to talk about how possessing the Holy Spirit power, going about doing good, healing all, the, uh, the, all oppressed of the devil, and then having the hand of God on your life. We've been noticing and talking about these things. We also learned that the closer we want to be to Jesus, the more dedicated and determined we must be. And uh, we said that Paul understand, understood that process, and he talks about it in Philippians 1.6. Now, we continue tonight by noting that Paul 
or excuse me, like Paul, Peter was also aware of the need to take steps in order to continue growing and becoming. And that's where we want to pick up tonight. So turn your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, we're talking about becoming. How do we become then? Well, we said, well, you've got to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And, and how does that work? You know, we said, well, how does that really look, I guess? Does, how's it look in attitude? How's it look in action? Well, we, we noted that. We considered that and we spoke about that. Now I want you to realize that it wasn't just Paul the Apostle that's uh, speaking about these issues, but Peter himself addresses these issues as well. If we're going to be uh, in the image of Jesus Christ, then we've got to, we've got to do a few things. We're going to have to take a few steps, if you will. And so notice what it says in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, Peter, in this passage, in the book of 2 Peter, he's writing to believers who have endured and experienced tremendous poverty and persecution. And he's concerned for the people. He's concerned for their future. He wrote the first letter, 1 Peter, because he was moved to the depth of his being after he recognized and saw the suffering of God's people. But in his second letter, he is moved by the seduction of the people of God. What at one point was suffering, he now sees the, 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 the danger of seduction. He was moved the first time by what Satan, that old lion, was doing. Now he's moved the second time by Satan, that old liar. He was moved the first time, or in the first letter, because of an attack from within. Excuse me, from, from, excuse me, from without. I got them mixed up. The first one is an attack from without, persecution. But the second letter is written because of an attack from within. See, the church would not be destroyed by persecution. The church wouldn't be overwhelmed by an attack or an assault from the outside. What would ultimately cost the church and what Peter understood was that it will be something from the inside that will ultimately corrupt or destroy the church. It's not what happens outside. It's what's going to take place on the inside. That's what could destroy it. So in his first letter, he has a burden to comfort those that are going through the fire. And he does. But in his second letter, he has a burden to caution those believers who are playing with fire. So with the present concern and with the potential collapse of their faith, Peter now outlines a course of action to ensure their faithfulness and to ensure their future. He provides them with a prescription for success, if you will. Now, the secret to success, as he describes it in this particular passage, is found in three little letters, making up one word, and it is the word add. 
See, the Christian life is a math problem. It's very simple. And, you know, when we think about simple math, we think about one plus one equals two. Well, that is exactly what Peter is now going to share with these people. He's going to share with these folks that have gone through such horrible persecution and those that now are dealing with the seduction of false and deceptive teachers. He's going to deal with them in a very simplistic way and say, listen, it's a simple math problem. If you're going to become Jesus Christ or like Christ, if you're going to become what God intended you to be, you're going to have to add some things in your life and add some things to your faith. See, the believer has exercised faith in Jesus Christ. And this opens the door to a whole new world. But it doesn't guarantee success in that world. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to experience the the, the bountiful Christian life. In order to experience the full benefit of that inheritance that God has given to each and every one of us, we have to do some simple math. we got to add. Add to your faith, he says. Obviously, they already had faith then. He makes it very clear in the first four verses of this particular book that these folks were indeed Christians, that they were indeed saved, that they had received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Matter of fact, he goes on to say that they, they literally possessed the divine nature. And by the way, if you know Christ as your Savior, you also have the divine nature. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now he says, you know what? In order to ensure your fruitfulness, in order to ensure your future, you're going to have to add some things. If you you want to ensure those things, then you're going to have to become something. And you don't become by accident. You become on purpose. And it is a result of adding some things to your faith. And so he goes on to say, You need to add to your faith virtue, virtue. Father, bless us. Meet our needs, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Add to your faith virtue. That word virtue is really referring to the pursuit of Christ-likeness, a moral excellence. It goes beyond simply just living right. It has to do, again, with a desire and a, a, a longing and a, a, just a, a willingness to be Christ-like. It's that driving force behind every other uh, uh, characteristic and quality of the Christian life. See, all of these things that he's going to list are going to be built upon virtue. It speaks of inner strength. It speaks of courage that ultimately translates into or compels us to live with moral with, with, with moral excellence and, and literally a genuine goodness, not just put on, but genuine. A sincerity that goes beyond simply just trying to present ourselves in a good light. But it's internal. It's our virtue. It's a, a desire to be Christ-like and something that continues to move us so that it ultimately affects our moral excellence. Virtue. He says, you know what? You're saved. But this, this process is a becoming process. And if you're going to become everything Jesus wants you to be, if you're going to be Christ-like, then you have to add to your faith. And you begin by adding virtue. Amen. He then goes on to say, to virtue, he says, 
You need to add some knowledge. Not just any knowledge. I mean, there's all kind of knowledge that's available to us. I mean, we, we, sometimes we wish it wasn't so available. Everywhere we go, we have a phone. Everywhere we go, we're connected. We always have all these news outlets and all these different means by which we receive information constantly. We can get online and we can, I mean, we can go to the Library of Congress if we want and take a book out, so to speak. I mean, information and knowledge is at our fingertips all the time, but not just any knowledge. You don't, he says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. He's talking about the knowledge of the person, the knowledge of the work and the knowledge of the ways of the Lord. I mean, who is God? What's he all about? What's his great desire and his longing for my life? What does he want for Mark O'Donnell? Who does he want me to become? Who does he want you to become? What does he want you to do? I mean, there's a knowledge, but you don't know those things. You can't possibly be like him if you don't know him. And so he says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. The knowledge of Christ himself, his work, his ways, his person. If we did a quiz on Jesus Christ and we simply asked questions about the Lord and we did a hundred questions about Jesus, about his person, about his work, about his ways, how many would you get right? And you say, well, I'd have to see the questions, and I would agree with you on that. But I do feel this. I do believe that there's not one of us probably in the room that knows him as well as we think we do. That's what I believe. I think we always have somewhat of an inflated view of ourselves. You know, we're all good people. No matter what we do, we're good. If only people knew who I was inside, they'd know I was good. I mean, you can't judge me. You can't judge a book by its cover, right? Well, I know I struggle with some things, but I'm, I'm really a good person. And we all have an inflated view of ourselves to some degree. And I think sometimes when it comes to the things of Christ, we are unfortunately tempted to do the same. So he then goes on, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, he says, temperance. Temperance is self-control. Or it is the ability to deny yourself, to say no to yourself. That's an area we're struggling with, isn't it? It's hard to say no to ourselves today. I mean, we're being programmed to get anything and everything we ever want. From the time we're little now, it seems like even in the home today, parents are very uh, uh, hesitant to tell their children no. As a matter of fact, the word no has been removed from most of our daycare centers. We're not even allowed to tell a kid no. Why? Because it hurts their self-esteem. It wrecks and ruins them for life. And yet the Bible says there's a biblical basis that we all ought to know that word no, and we ought to use it on ourselves daily. We expect men to treat women with respect, but we don't teach them as young boys to say no to themselves. And then we wonder why there's an epidemic problem with abuse. 
We're training our children to be abusers by not learning to say no to themselves. When a girl says no, they say, I don't care. Or when someone weaker says no to them, they say, I don't care because it's all about me. And unfortunately, we are teaching a generation, and unfortunately, as adults even, we have been programmed to learn to say, anything I want, I deserve. Anything that there's available that I choose to want, I should be able to have it. And in our Christian lives, it's destroying us. Because the Christian life is about saying no just as much as it is saying yes to the Lord. No to self and yes to Him. Now, God will give us many of the desires of our heart. He's proven that, and he constantly does. But there are some things that are off limits, just like that tree in the garden. We have to learn to say no. Temperance is self-control, or the ability to deny self and say no to oneself. Otherwise, again, we'll be ruled by our passions instead of the Spirit of God. It brings inward victory, this temperance does. But then he goes to say, listen, again, this is a process. You need to add to your faith virtue into virtue, knowledge into knowledge, temperance into temperance, patience. Patience, of course, is the ability to, I guess, to remain faithful to God while enduring the circumstances of life. And many times they're not positive even. They may be difficult, hard. But we find in ourselves the ability to continue to remain faithful because we know God is faithful to His promises. And when we know God to be a certain kind of person, you know, this person who will keep his word, a person who has a plan and a person who's working that plan, then we look to God and we say, listen, I can trust you. I can depend on you. I can lean on you, even though I don't understand what's going on. And I'll be patient through it all. I'll wait on you. I'll depend on you. Patience. He goes on to say, not only do you need patience, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience, but he goes on to say, godliness. If you would take the time to look at this word godliness in the New Testament, we'll find that it's basically the, the equivalent to the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord. In essence, we could define godliness then as a God-fearing lifestyle that promotes righteousness and opposes evil. So we could say it is. Again, in the New Testament, the word godliness is an equivalent to the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord. So we could say it's a God-fearing lifestyle that promotes righteousness and opposes evil. What it's saying then is this, that that godly person, you or I, trust, hopefully we are godly, but that godly person is courageous to stand for Christ and against evil. If we truly possess godliness, we're going to stand for what is right. We're going to stand for Jesus Christ and we're going to oppose evil. Courage to stand is a true mark of the godly. We are watching a generation of religious people, churchgoers, and as a result, we're watching a generation sit while the world continues to run at rapid pace into ungodliness and morality, and into immorality. And we will not stand up for fear of the ridicule, for fear of being ostracized, for fear of being labeled as different or intolerant. 
It's not that we have to be out in front always ripping and tearing and shredding people. That's not the issue. But we need to stand for the Word of God. That is what godliness is. Being courageous and standing, that's a true mark of godliness. The godly person is not just being good, but doing good. He says, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And then he says to godliness, brotherly kindness. We're a church family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. The next time you wonder why every time you show up at church your kids get sick, it's because it's a family. And families pass everything around. Your children pass it around each other. There isn't one family in this room whose children don't get something then pass it to every kid. Well, guess what? This is a family. It's going to happen. And whether it's that or whether it's godliness or whether it's immorality, depending on what we, uh, what we promote here, it's going to get passed around. We want to promote godliness. We want to promote joy. We want to promote uh, uh, encouragement. We want to promote excitement. We want to promote the things that Christ wants to promote. And we want it to be contagious. There are some things we don't want to catch. But we do want to catch the things of God. Brotherly kindness. This is an internal thing. This is a church thing. This is a brother and sister Christ thing. See, it, it, it points to feeling affection toward and a willingness to share with those that are members of the family. Brotherly kindness. We share something in common. There ought to be a desire to share other things with each other. It's a love that we have within the family. So brotherly kindness could therefore be defined as a God-empowered affection for and service to those in the household of faith. It's within the walls of this church. It's this family. Brotherly kindness. But hold on. He says not only, don't stop there. He says add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness. And he goes on to say and to brotherly kindness charity. Charity. Charity is, in the Word of God at least, is something we imitate from God. Something we must imitate. It's a mindset that is to be imitated. It's a scriptural and sacrificial mindset. And it advances the spiritual welfare of others. We're to love on purpose and we're to love with a purpose. And even as Christ's love was on a mission to redeem the fallen and to rescue them back into fellowship with God the Father, every word and deed that we speak ought to be motivated by a godly love. And it should accomplish the same end, causing others to want Jesus and to be saved. It's a kindness or should I say a brother, a love that extends outside the walls of this church, outside the family, to those that are that we have nothing in common with, maybe. 
It's easy to love people we have something in common with. It's easy to want to hang around people we have something in common with. I'm not talking about hanging out and allowing them to be your friends and influence your life. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but you, don't, you don't influence people unless you have contact with people. This love is a God type of love. And it extends past the family to the world. And he says here, he says, listen, I... I understand that, that we need to be Christ-like, Peter says. I, I know what the Apostle Paul says, but I also understand it as well. And I want you to know, you folks that I'm writing to today, I know you've been persecuted, and I understand that now you're under attack from within. I want you to stay strong. I want you to recognize your faith and not to give in to, your, to, to those that are teaching something other than the truth. And if you're going to stand, if you're going to ultimately be fruitful, if you're going to ultimately be faithful to the very end, if you're going to succeed in the Christian life, if you're going to be like Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. It's interesting, but these qualities, these characteristics seem to build upon one another. They do not seem to be independent. It's not like you get to say, you know what? I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go from faith to godliness. I'm going to focus on godliness. No, that's not what he says. That's not how it works. These seem to be progressive. They seem to be steps in an order. And J.A. Bangles makes this statement. He says, each step gives birth to and facilitates the next. Each subsequent quality balances and brings to perfection the one preceding. J. Darrell Charles, he made this statement concerning this passage. He said, each virtue of the, of the life of faith facilitates the next. None is independent of the others. So all the traits in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, they, they're commanded elsewhere in Scripture, yes. But in this passage, they form a chain. And they form a chain that is built link by link by link. You can't bypass one of the links. You've got to start and then you finish the job. You begin with faith. And you add to your faith virtue. And you continue to add to virtue. And then next and next and next and next till finally you're complete. You're become what God intends you to become. Peter's saying, add to your faith. And then add the next, and add the next, and so on and so forth. See, the process of becoming doesn't happen by chance. Being conformed to the image of Christ and being transformed by the renewing of your mind is a lifetime process. But although it may be a lifetime process, it is a daily decision. You choose today who you'll become tomorrow. Listen, this idea that I'll become one day will never happen. I heard it said years and years ago, you make the choice and then the choice makes you. You change your habits and you will change your destiny. Add to your faith. It's a simple addition. It's a math problem, addition. It's not multiplication, it's not division, it's not calculus, trigonometry, or anything else. 
It's simple addition. Because God wanted all of us to know how simple the Christian life can be, but it doesn't happen by chance. It has to be on purpose. And you do so by adding. Will you become what God wants you to become? I think you ought to take that first Peter and you ought to look it over this week and just read it every day. Just read one through seven every day. And just ask yourself, am I becoming what God wants me to become? Father, we thank you for the time we've had together in your word, the simple truths of your word. We do ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and help us to make good decisions today. Every day, good decisions. To make the decision to want to be Christ-like. To make a decision to build our life on virtue. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we have the divine nature. But Lord, help us to, to add to our faith virtue. And then begin taking steps to add each and every one of those characteristics and qualities. Building on a strong foundation. Becoming Christ-like. Becoming everything you want us to be. We'll thank you. We'll praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.